All roads lead to Rome. That's what we're doing with Paul. We found him over in Acts, but before he came to Rome, he wrote Romans from the city of Corinth, and he wrote that warning to go uh, to Rome. And one day, of course, he did wind up in that imperial city, uh, ever so important uh, in getting the gospel out. And Paul knew getting to that city, which uh, all of the world revolved around at that time, that the gospel would go from there. Before he went, he wrote. And we're looking at this epistle these Sunday mornings that is just dripping with truth and doctrine uh, of salvation and sanctification and glorification. And so let's look together this morning at a message I've entitled, Baptists at the Judgment. Romans chapter 2. We begin reading in verse 1 and read down through the 16th verse. You follow along because this now is the word of our great God. Therefore... He's just talked about a whole list, laundry list of sin. And he said, because of all of that, therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, old man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the, day, uh, in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who are by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing them or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge secrets, the secrets of men, through Christ Jesus. Paul is writing about the Jew and the Gentile. This whole chapter is wrapped up in religiosity. And he is saying to the Jew, religious, to the Gentile, non-religious, judgment is coming. Now, if you're not careful, you would think that we go to heaven, we get saved by what we do, according to this text. But oh no, you know Romans better than that, because he's going to make clear the gospel is by grace through faith, and we see that all through. But he is saying here, if you are a religious hypocrite, 
and you judge others with your nose turned up, then judgment is coming to you. He speaks not only of the judgment that is to come at the Bema and the great white throne, but there is a judgment that follows us day by day. For we do reap what we sow. So there is an ongoing judgment. Thank God he doesn't judge us immediately every time. But we hear of his slow to wrath, of being patient with us. Thank God that he is. And that is his kindness that will lead us to repentance. But we all face judgment. We find that in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, be recompensed for the deeds done to the body, whether they're good or whether they are bad. You'll stand, I'll stand. I know he's speaking there of the judgment of Christians, but there is a judgment for the lost. And we will all stand in the judgment, white throne judgment or the bema seat judgment. But don't miss it. He here is also speaking about a judgment that comes now, and we must be very careful because of our religiosity. Now, I'm all for being a Baptist. I think everybody ought to be one. Amen. I do. I, if I thought I ought to be something else, I'd be it. But dear friend, if you think being a Baptist is going to give you good standing in the judgment, God help you. Because it's not your religion, not your attendance at church, not even you giving of your offer. As old Vance Havner used to say, when the Lord comes and you fly up to heaven, the tags fall off. When you go down to hell, they burn off. That tag doesn't give you any standing. It is Christ and his blood that gives you standing. And because of that, you are to be God's people. Judgment is coming. So how does he judge us? Well, it says, first of all, in this text that we'll be judged according to our deeds. In verse number 6, who will render to each person according to his deeds. In verse 7, those that evidence righteousness, amen. Verse 8, those who evidence unrighteousness will, we see, uh, find wrath and indignation. Titles and membership, they don't get you anywhere. I thank God for being a member of the church. After this service, we're going over Discovering Olive. Have the largest crowd I think we've had, or at least in several years, coming to Discovering Olive. And we want people to discover the church and be a part of the church. But you can be a part of the church and miss heaven. You can be baptized, as my old country preacher up on the mountain used to say, you know every catfish by first name, but I'm telling you, baptism doesn't do it. It's Christ that does it, and if you are saved, there will be a difference in the way you live. You'll be judged not by your Baptist membership. You'll be judged by the deeds that you do that are unto godliness. Our deeds, what we do as unto righteousness. I met a person this week. Uh, I'm not a palm reader. I'm a tattoo reader. And I see them everywhere. And this individual had a tattoo that said Revelation 3, 16. 
I didn't know that verse just immediately. I knew where it was in the letters, the seven churches. I knew it wasn't far from Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open his heart, come in. And I kept thinking about that verse. Well, I cheated and looked on my phone and I found it. So I asked the individual. I said, I, I see your, your script. I said, is that a scripture? And the individual said, yes. I said, what's it say? And they said, well, I can't really remember. I'm like, you, you got a permanent mark on your body and you don't even know what it says? Come on now. They said, well, I, I think it says something about, I said, yeah, it says you're not hot or cold. God will spit you out of his mouth. That's what it says. He said, she he said, that's right. That, that's what it says. I said, I know. I just read it. So I challenged that individual. I said, I challenge you as a preacher of the gospel that you memorize the verses that you wrote on your body. <laughs> I didn't even know this individual. We laughed about it. I got back and I was reading my text. Boy, did God deal with me. He said, you know, when you judge others, it's the same way you be judged. Do you know all your verses? I said, Lord, it's okay. I'll ask the questions. <laughs> and he said, no, I'll ask the questions. I said, yes, sir. Be very careful that, that you don't get so baptistic and religious and your nose in the air that you look down on other people. Because you're going to be judged by your deeds. And if your deed is judgmental spirit of others, God help your soul. Judgment is coming according to what you do in action and attitude. Secondly, he says that we will be judged according to impartiality. God doesn't, well, I wish you got an upgrade for being a Baptist. But you don't. Everybody. Jew, Gentile, Catholic, Baptist, Episcopalian, Pentecostal, doesn't matter who. Judgment, it's level before God. He judges without impartiality. Uh, it says in, uh, with impartiality in verse 6. Uh, we, we find that, or in verse 11, I'm sorry, the impartiality of God. Moses said this in Deuteronomy 10 and verse 17, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords and the great and the mighty and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor will he take a bride. Paul said it in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 9, masters do the same things uh, to them, give up threatening knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Peter said it in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not the one to show partiality. There's no partiality with God. He judged you and you and you and you at you level. That's full of the cross. You will give an account. I will give an account. Every Jew, every Gentile, with the law, without the law. You see, the issue is in verse 13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. If in the way you show your faith is not by hearing me, but by doing what God says. 
It's not that you listen to the reading of the Word of God. It's that you display the life of the Word of God. God's called us to faithfulness. And without that faithfulness, judgment, even to the Baptist, to the Jew, to the Gentile, we all will deal with that. He says we'll be judged according to our deeds. We'll be judged without partiality. And then thirdly in this text, it says we will be judged according to the gospel. According to the gospel. Look in verse 15, 16, where where he uh, tells us in in this text, and that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them on that day when according to my gospel, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. Christ. And then he jumps in in verses 17 through 29 that I didn't read. Notice in verse 17. But if you bear the name Jew, if you say, I'm a Jew, and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of the knowledge and the truth. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, you steal. Verse 22, you say, don't commit adultery, but you commit adultery. You tell them to abhor idols, but yet you rob the temple. You boast in the law, the, the breaking. And he goes on to say, it's, it's not that you're a Jew outwardly. See, the Jew had to be, every male Jew was circumcised. But then he goes on to the end of the text and he says, circumcision is not of the body, it's of the heart. A Jew is not a Jew who is one outwardly, but one who is inwardly. Listen to me. A Baptist is not one who just gets wet. It's not the outwardness. It's the inwardness. It's the heart. But because of your stubborn and unrepentant heart, judgment comes. You ought to do the out. He's not saying don't do the outward things. If you've been saved, you ought to be baptized. You ought to give your money. You, you, ought to do, you ought to sing the songs. You ought to be here. But if you think getting wet and giving your money and coming to church is going to get you standing before God, you've missed it a thousand miles. Your life must be righteousness. You're to be salt. Some of you more salty than others, amen? Yeah, but we're to be preserving. We're to be lights, lights, shining the gospel. That's who we are to be. Why? What is the problem? Well, he tells us, verse 28, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but it is the Jew who is one inwardly. Look at that. And circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter of the law. And his praise is not from men, but his praise comes from God. You don't do what man says, you do what God says. And the circumcision is that of the heart. But when you have a stubborn, rebellious heart, it's a heart issue. Hear me, church. It's a heart issue. It's where God deals with us. In the inward man. And then there is demonstration. 
Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8, to be pure in your heart. David prayed in Psalm 51, verse 10, oh God, cleanse my heart. He just, the king, the man with a heart after God's own heart, the Bible said, had committed adultery. He could defeat Goliath, but Bathsheba defeated him. Why? His heart. His heart. His heart turned away from the things of God. Oh, God, give me a clean heart, David prayed. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 3 and verse 12 and 13 tells us, Oh, that you would not have an unbelieving hard heart. Then Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us that you believe in your heart. It's with the heart the person believes unto righteousness. It's the heart. It's the heart. What's the heart? Take, take your finger. Put it right up here. Is, is yours beating? You find it? I'm telling you, mine's really thumping right now. I mean, it's going. They tell me uh, preaching in two services is, is like a good workout for the day. I believe it. Yeah, I got it. I'm, I'm here. If you can't find it, let somebody help you or you're about to fall out on the floor, all right? <laughs> now, when he says heart, that's not the heart he's talking about. See, you got a muscle in your chest, and it's pumping. That's why you can feel that. Or as mine is going, it's hopping right now. See, your heart, the scripture uses this illustratively. It's, it's not the, see, it, it's not your physical heart. See, they can take your physical heart and, and get rid of it because it's bad and put somebody else's in you. Well, what happens to that? <laughs> see, you're okay. But the inward man, you're to love God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It's illustrative. It, it speaks of our heart. And if you've got an old hard, unbelieving heart, you just say stubbornly no. When, when God calls and we have an invitation, the Spirit of God comes and says, you, you should respond, and you just say, no. you got an evil, wicked, unbelieving heart. No, stubborn. I do it my way. <laughs> you ever get mad at your friend, your spouse, and say, I ain't going to talk to them. Is that stupid or what? Your heart, I ain't talking to them. I'll ignore her. God laughs at you. And then he slaps you around a little bit. And then you have to talk. But you have to repent before you go back. I'm sorry. See, your heart gets hard. Hard and crusty. But God says, have a different kind of heart. Now, let me tell you, the Bible speaks of at least four different kinds of hearts. I want to share these with you today. The Bible talks a lot about a hard heart. Yeah. 
When you've got a hard heart, you just say no to the things of God. Harden not your heart, Hebrews chapter 3 says. Don't harden your heart. You, you can get hard before God. You can sit in that balcony, come, and, and, and say, I'm not going forward. You can sit down here in the Spirit of God speaking, and you say, no. Mm. I don't feel it. I'm not going to feel it. You can't move me. Hard heart. Just say no to the things of God. Secondly, the Bible talks about an open heart. Revelation 3, verse 20. It's not the tattoo verse. It's right after the tattoo verse. <laughs> Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Amen. If any man will open the door. He's talking to the church here. He, he's saying to the church, if, you, if you'll open the door, Jesus said, I'll come in. I'll fellowship with you. I'll sup with you. I'll eat with you. I'll sit down with you. We ought to have an open heart. Friend, when God speaks, you ought, you ought to open the doors. You ought to open your heart unto God. Amen. Let God have his way. Don't be hard. The Bible speaks about that hard heart, that stubborn, unrepentant heart. No. He says, open. Open your heart. Thirdly, the Bible speaks about a yielded heart. A yielded heart. You're bent toward God. This is where the Lord calls you to serve. Mm-hmm. There are men in this church, God's going to call you to serve as a deacon. And you're going to say, nah, just, but you're going to have to yield to the will of God. Some of you, God's called to preach. You say, I'd rather do something else. It's not up to you. Amen. You yield to what God says. You yield. You yield your heart. Say, Lord, not my will but yours be done. Let me tell you, the happiest people in this church are people that have yielded unto the Lord. Amen. You yield your life unto God. And that yielded heart, just open and allow. I love these people. They just said, Lord, I, I, no, I don't want to do what I want to do. I want to do what you want me to do. Some have a hard heart. We all have an open heart. Then calls us a little step farther. We yield as God grows us in sanctification. But fourthly, there's what I call the flooded heart. The flooded heart. These are not words that are mine. I get these from Dr. Stephen Oldford from years ago. I heard him preach a series on the heart, and there was a sermon on each one of these. The flooded heart is John 7. You who believe in me, out of your innermost being will flow rivers, rivers of living. Don't you love people with a flooded heart? And that the river comes out of you. I'm standing out here in the foyer. It's almost every Sunday now. There's a little girl. She is the cutest thing, just about this tall, jet black hair. She sees me, and she comes running right up to me. And she stands there with a big smile. And she stands there till I give her a hug. And then she hugs me back, and she runs off. Almost every week. I would to God we could elect 20 deacons just like her. <laughs> just hug the preacher and go to work. Amen. That's, that's what we need right there. That little girl is... 
there's just the joy of Jesus comes out of her. I know other folks, it seems like there hadn't been a drop of living water come out of them in 40 years. I mean, they are just dried up. You, you know those folks? Yeah, so when you judge them, that's the way God's going to judge you. So be careful. But you know what I'm talking about. There is no flood, no flow. Oh, it's the joy of Jesus. It's, you, you love to be around these people because people are getting wet with glory everywhere they go. Some people say, well, you know, they're a little fanatical for me. That's all right. Amen. I'm just telling you, it's a whole lot easier to calm down a fanatic than it is to raise a corpse. Yes, sir. Okay? So edgy people don't bother me. It's those dead folks that worry me. There's this joy. There's just a flooded heart. Just, just out of your innermost being flow rivers of living water. This morning after first service, a lady walked up to me. I want you to look at her up here just that window. We put that window in there 25 years ago. An artist from Los Angeles did that. As a matter of fact, I think I saw you over here. She may have left. Is, is my glass maker over here? She's hiding. There she is. Yeah. I, I have... I got a job for you. I want Christmas ornaments made that look like that. This means yes. This means no. And they're okay, I think. This lady came up to me. She said, my son's been listening to you preach. And said, he looked at me the other day and said, Mother, have you noticed that the lights are not on one of the crosses? She said, do you, he said to his mother, he's 10. He said, do you think that that means there's one person up there that didn't believe and that's the thief that didn't believe? Is that what that means? I said, yes, that's what that means. He got it. And this Christmas, you'll be able to buy ornaments to hang on your tree. That look like that. Amen. I've seen her work. She can do it. Amen. She may move her membership next week. I doubt it. But she... <laughs> the heart. How's your heart today? It's the heart. It's the heart. It's the flood. It was 19 and I can't remember, 84, 85. I'm pastoring a church in Texas. The phone rings one day. It's my mother. She said, you have to get in your car and come home now. I said, what's going on? She said, well, your father has had a heart attack, and he's going to have, she would say, and most people say, open heart surgery, open chest surgery, four bypasses. So I made arrangements, quickly got in the car, and down the highway from Henrietta to Texarkana, from Texarkana into across the boot of Arkansas and into Memphis and hit 72 and into Huntsville, Alabama. 
we got there, and Dad is in the hospital. So I go in, and we're several people around the bed. He kind of sits up and says, everybody out except my son. So what is this? Even mother, yes, everybody out except you. I said, okay, sir. They all left, and I got up next to the bed, and he took my hand. He said, if I don't make it through this and I die, you make your mother. Now, that's a tough sentence right there. You make your mother sell that store. She does not need to run that store by herself. It'll kill her. I said, Daddy, you're going to be all right. He said, listen, listen I, nobody knows. You promise me. I said, yes, sir, I promise. You die, we sell. They did the surgery. Took the veins out of his legs, wired him up. He would live for 30 more years. We were walking down the corridor of the hospital. I'm holding on to him. He's got me. We're going down the hospital, and here comes a little nurse. He looks over at me, and he says, that's the meanest woman God ever made. I said, what? He said, she made me get up the first night after this surgery. Meanest woman God ever made. We got him back to the room, and I said, Dad, now it's my turn. You lived. You're up and going. Now I'm telling you, sell that store. He said, what? I said, I'm telling you, it's going to kill you. Sell that store. And he said, you're right. I almost fainted. <laughs> I never had dad say you was right when I gave an opinion. He said, we'll do it. And he did. But that wasn't what happened. God changed my daddy's heart in heart surgery. He became a kinder, gentler man. He became a more godly man. He'd always been good. But his prayer life went up. His witness life went up. He started working on the van ministry with a preacher and going and gathering children to bring them to church. God changed my daddy's heart. In the surgical unit, yes. But in heaven surgical unit, that's what happened. He became tender and tough at the same time. He'd love on me and encourage me. Then he'd say to me, years later, he'd say, you know, you're traveling a little too much. You need to hang around to church more. You don't need going so much. Those people need you to be there. 
I say, yes, sir. He said, you mind the store, mind the store. My daughter got married. You should have heard him speak at that dinner the night before. He stood and spoke to them, spoke truth into their soul. They may not have heard a word, but it slayed my soul. Because God had changed the heart of the greatest man in my life. He'd had heart surgery. He went from a believing heart to a yielded heart to a flooded heart. What kind of heart you got today? Where's your heart? Have you got an old hard heart? Stubborn, unbelieving, said, ah, oh, you move me, you can't move me. Have you opened your heart to God's way? Have you said, I'll preach if God calls me to preach. I'll be a missionary if God calls me. I'll be whatever God, I'll go where God says. You've got to open your heart to the will and way of God. Are you yielded to say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done? And are you flooded? Are you full of the Spirit of the living God? Is there a gusher coming through you? Are there rivers of living water flowing out of your life so that others are seeing Jesus? Friend, that calls for heart surgery, not the physical kind, but the spiritual kind. When God comes and does surgery on your heart, how's your heart today? How's your heart? Remember that tattoo? If you're not cold or hot, I spit you out of my mouth. That's judgment, beloved. Amen. You, you, you got to be all in for God. All in. And when that happens, oh, the river comes flowing through you. Amen. God's looking for an open heart, yielded and flooded. You dare not walk out of here hard-hearted and stubborn this day.